Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network, back with you alongside my great friend and co-host, Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst, most recently of First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida. In fact, Brent and First Coast News going to have some live coverage for you from down in Orlando for LSU and Florida State coming up on Sunday night. We'll get into more of that a little bit later in the show. But of course, Brent, also a voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in all of college football, the Heisman Trophy. All of that out of the way, Brent. No shortage of topics. We've got a couple of SEC games, a couple of SEC teams that took part in action on Thursday night. So we'll review Florida, Utah, Missouri, South Dakota, and then, man, between Saturday and then again, that that cherry on top sort of matchup with LSU, Florida State, we got a lot to get into today, don't we? Well, uh, we really do, uh, and it, it, I love this time of year when you've got college football from Thursday through the following Monday, um, so that's great, and, and, and really... Um, obviously some of the big news, uh, now is that the, uh, and we won't spend much time on this, but it, it is worth repeating that the ACC has added, um, Cal and Stanford and SMU. Obviously they did that, Trev, as you know, um, uh, that, we, that you and I discovered years ago that you follow the money and they're getting like 55 more million from ESPN in order to do so, uh, it's still not real sure that, uh, and, and I've talked to some FSU people and they said that, that they really aren't any more excited about playing Cal than they are Wake Forest right now. But, uh, just to update folks wanted to throw that in and, and yet another change Trav in college football. Yeah. That one reeks of two way desperation. Uh, the ACC in that mode, especially with talk and loud, not just grumblings, but just very vocal in its displeasure really? with the league from the Florida State corner of things here of late. But you've got a couple of Pac-12, Pac-4 type teams, I guess you call it these days, looking to sort of find a life raft in Stanford and Cal. And then also SMU, from its perspective, it has seen TCU in recent years move on to the Big 12. Uh, It has seen Houston move on to the Big 12. So just within its own state, its own footprint, SMU feeling the heat to try to get to that Power 5 level. And uh, just very interesting, uh, as we've talked about, just some of the logistical issues that are going to be a part of some of these leagues. Just amazing to think that there's going to be a league called the Atlantic coast conference <laughs> with teams from Palo Alto and Berkeley, California. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and two things real quick, SMU 
so desperate to get in that they have waived any revenue uh, for like the first seven Saw years yeah. saying, saying their boosters will do it. And, and, and Trav, how about that little tap on the head from North Carolina uh, in, in from some of their uh, border regions <laughs> that said, uh, no, we do not agree uh, that this expansion should be taking place. So it, it, I'm, I'm hoping that the ACC, and, and I think they'll be smarter than this, won't come out and say, well, it was unanimous. How about that? Yeah, uh, it was pretty obvious, I think, that UNC especially was not particularly pleased no. with the prospects of adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU. But, Brent, we certainly got a lot to get into as it relates to Thursday night action involving teams in the Southeastern Conference. Let's start with that game out in Salt Lake City. I think in some ways, some of Florida fans' worst uh, uh, you know, expectations were realized in this game, but I thought there were also some positives. I know it's a loss ultimately for the Gators, 13-point defeat on the road against a top 15 team playing without its starting quarterback. We had anticipated that in the lead-up to this game with Cam Rising coming off that knee injury sustained in the Rose Bowl to cap the 2022 season. But, um, boy, just mistakes from the Florida standpoint. Uh, Penalties, red zone failures, missed field goals, shanked punts, uh, duplicate numbers on a punt return in a 7-3 game. I I think you could kind of uh, point to some different areas, especially for this Florida offense. Uh, And, again, there were some bright spots. Graham Mertz, I thought, got better as the game went on. Unfortunately for Florida, that was largely out of necessity because they could not get Etienne and Johnson going uh, in the run game. Uh, But how did you see this from from that perspective, starting maybe more so with the Florida offense? Uh, Trev, I never thought they committed to the run game was the biggest problem. Uh, That's the strength of their offense. And they really never uh, tried to get it going. Um, Look, when you look at Merch numbers, 31 to 44. Trev, there's no way in the world he needs to be throwing 44 passes. Um, he needs to be throwing about 20, 20 less. And they only ran the ball 21 times. I thought the offensive line um, really struggled at times. Boy, um, George from Alabama was not uh, any help to them whatsoever. Um, but <laughs> Travis, what tell now? Tell me what was worse here, the performance on the field, Dan Mullen having to tell them about it from the studio, and or Gator fans not able to watch the game because Charter and Disney decided at eight o'clock to have a feud, and Gator fans in South Florida not being able to watch the game. So I'm not real sure. <laughs> Which was worse out of the three? Uh, Gator fans might have been spared that didn't weren't <laughs> able to get the the broadcast. Might have been some mental health relief yeah. for them. Um, you know, look, uh, Damian George. We'll start with him at the right tackle position. Obviously, there's been some situations uh, with that group in, in, going into the off season and then throughout the off season that didn't come to fruition. I'm sure, like Florida had hoped. Um, And for Alabama fans who watched that game or covered Alabama in recent years, 
unfortunately, that was the Damian George that you sort of remembered from his time in 2021, especially with the Crimson Tide. And not to beat up one guy because they had mistakes across the board. I think uh, ultimately, if you're a Florida fan, you understand that from a talent level perspective, you're still trying to get back to that Florida standard. And the current recruiting rankings for the 2024 cycles speak positively to Billy Napier and the staff achieving that kind of a brick by brick approach that you expected with Billy Napier. However, there's one thing about maybe not being at that level from a roster perspective that you've been at in previous eras of Florida football, but the lack of discipline and execution Uh, And just continuously making the kind of mistakes you absolutely cannot make, especially on the road against a good team. That's the thing that's going to stick in the crawl of Florida fans. And you got McNeese State coming up next. So that's a that's a get well game. Yeah. You know, and so uh, you expect that to be the case. But you're just not going to prove much to your own fan base if you beat up on, you know, an FCS opponent coming up here. It's still going to be let's see what happens with say Tennessee down the road coming up and those type of opponents Kentucky uh, those kind of games are still what ultimately are going to define year two for Billy Napier and really the offensive staff in general because I think Austin Armstrong showed you and that defense showed you that there were some signs of improvement they gave up a couple of explosive plays especially the first one on the yes. opening snap of the game for Utah a 70 yard touchdown pass um but i think you saw some glimmers of hope on the defensive yeah. side offensively um i think if you're a Florida fan you were just thrilled to see that that group get in the end zone uh in the fourth quarter there uh it took a while and third down was a disaster too for oh. the Gators uh, well, in, in uh, the defense, frankly, only allowed 270 yards. Uh, and, and after the first play of the game, they only allowed 200. So uh, giving them credit with that, um, I, I thought the uh, uh, having two players in the game with number three on, on the back of their jersey yeah. was uh, – now that's correctable, uh, obviously, but that was a killer in the game as far as – uh, momentum one of 13 on third down was also difficult uh, to say the least. But and, and I think what people need to real they need to realize a couple of things. Number one, and I know I know he provided sparkling analysis last night in quotes, but Dan Mullins a lot of the reason Florida is in this predicament to begin with because he either. Uh, couldn't recruit or didn't want to recruit. Uh, so the Napier's making up for that. So, uh, but they're not going to make changes with Napier uh, at the end of this year and continue uh, some of the mistakes they've made. But, but my last point on the game, Trav, is I want to give Utah a lot of credit. Whittingham is a tremendous football coach. And he's got what, Trav, double-digit years right now. Uh, on a lot of coaches uh, with the uh, uh, in the SEC, certainly including uh, uh, Napier. But man, that's a solid football team to be able to do what they did with that. Their quarterback, with that, their center, their tight end. They had to def- two defensive players out. 
they, they're basically what we talked about all summer. They're a very tough SEC-like football team that's just hard to beat. And Trev, you've been out there in that atmosphere, uh, in in that stadium, and at home they're almost impossible to beat. Yeah, it reaffirmed my analogy for me anyway that this is Utah right now is Frank Beamer era Virginia Tech West. Yeah, that's a great it, analogy. It's a lot like that uh, with that program, and and that was last night. That was kind of a Frank Beamer at. Virginia Tech kind of win, you know, it felt like, uh, one special teams, um, was just solid enough, won the lines of scrimmage and, you know, win by a couple scores without your starting quarterback. So impressive, no doubt about it. I did think for Florida, Ricky Pearsall did some really good things at the wide receiver position, probably could have had even a bigger night. I think Wilson Burke Douglas at the wide receiver position showed you some positivity, uh, at their spots, but again, you can't have you can't have Etienne and Johnson combining for ten carries and just thirty-one rushing yards and win many games with right. this football team. There, it's yeah. just not going to happen. It didn't happen at Utah on Thursday night, and it won't happen once the Gators get within the SEC uh, if that's the situation that this team is put in. Let's talk about Missouri thirty-five. South Dakota, 10. Boy, Brady Cook, I guess you could say, very efficient. Uh, We did see some of Sam Horn also at the quarterback position for the Tigers, and they also got a pretty big night on the ground. Yeah, they really, they did. And, Trev, I've got to ask you, how impressed are you with uh, Luther Burden? Um, uh, Took a a helmet-to-helmet hit, uh, and uh, it, it just kept on going. Um, I, it, look, I think they're fine at quarterback. Uh, it, certainly, they've got Sam Horn there too, as you mentioned, who got in a little bit. Uh, also, uh, now uh, to me, this is kind of typical Eli Drake. With uh, they, they got a win. Uh, it wasn't. Fi- they didn't have a lot of fireworks uh, or anything of that nature. But at the same time, they got the job done. Now uh, he gave a lot of credit. Uh, to, uh, to drink with did uh, to South Dakota and what they did. So, I mean, it was just kind of a standard 35 to 10 type win. For, uh, Trev, frankly, this is what Florida needed. Instead of playing Utah, Florida needed to play a, a South Dakota just to be able to work some of the bugs out. But uh, Missouri did, uh, and frankly, overall, um, I, I think they were fairly solid against an opponent they should have beat. Yeah, they, they took care of business. I mean, Cody Schrader runs for, what, 138 yards. Right. Um, you know, given the opponent, uh, you see Missouri get out to a 28-3 to halftime lead, and they were never really threatened uh, in that 25-point win. And uh, absolutely, Luther Burden living up to the recruiting ranking that accompanied him to Como. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, looking like that guy, and they need him to be that guy, especially with Dom Lovett moving on from the wide receiver position. And you're right, it is the kind of game that you would rather start with at a place like Missouri, for sure, and even Florida in its current situation. Uh, if you could have had McNeese State this week 
and then go to Utah next week, maybe things would have been different. But mm-hmm. for Mizzou, I like the way the schedule sort of sets up, too, because they take a step, it seems like, every week. You know, it was uh, South Dakota this week. Then it becomes Middle Tennessee next week. And, of course, Middle Tennessee playing at Alabama on Saturday night. So, uh, And then September 16th, Missouri hosts Kansas State. So it's gradual in terms of degree of difficulty, which I'm sure Eli Drinkwitz appreciates from a schedule perspective. Yeah, he has to be able to do so. And and I think he was complimentary of his staff, and they made some uh, ch- some changes uh, and drink with. Um, I'm going to command the Missouri and Florida here. Drink with said uh, at, at the end of the year, in the beginning of the uh, of the uh, off season, that they needed they really needed to change, uh, and he needed to quit calling plays and just kind of be the CEO. And I know this will come up over the next few days. And so, at least for game one, that worked well for Missouri. Travis, I'm just wondering, and you don't need, you can't change in midstream here, but I'm just wondering at the end of the year, is that something that Billy Napier looks at mm. and, and maybe bring in a play caller too? Exact thought I had. Uh, you, you're, I think you're right on it, potentially anyway. We'll see. You know, again, maybe this Florida offense, the offensive line starts to come together a little bit more. This is a group that hadn't spent a lot of time together. You know, you got a new quarterback in there in Graham Mertz. It's different dynamics across the board for that offense from a personnel perspective. So uh, there, there's certainly some potential for things to come together a great deal more than they did for the season opener. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think right now anyway that a scenario similar to the one involving drink at Mizzou could come into play perhaps for Billy Napier in the not too distant future. All right, let's get into Saturday's game. Let's do some Saturday's games. Let's do some previewing Brent. We'll start with that noon Eastern window ball state at Kentucky. Uh, Typically when you lose a quarterback to the NFL draft, there's not much excitement (laughs) or as much excitement. Uh, going into the next season, but uh, given the the changes at not just uh, the quarterback position, but also uh, a reunion there uh, at the offensive coordinator spot, uh, seems like that is the case. There is excitement for this Kentucky offense, especially if the the line of scrimmage can pick up its play. No doubt, uh, and, the, and that that was a real weakness last year for for them was the uh, offensive line. Uh, and Trav, how about Ray Davis coming over from Vanderbilt um, and being able to run the ball for them, hoping to replace, if anybody can, uh, Chris Rodriguez. So I, I, look, I think there is as much intrigue uh, in uh, watching Devin Leary and Liam Cohen and offensive coordinator uh, with this team as there is uh, just about anybody. Uh, and if they can pull all that together, uh, I think I think Kentucky could be very dangerous. I, I'm not ready to say they're going to supplant Georgia because they're not, but this is a team that I think starting on Saturday is going to be a, a, a frankly a fascinating watch. And, and, and listen, how how well would it speak for Stoops, Trav, 
to be able to fix some of these weaknesses uh, in the next year. Sometimes it takes two or three or four years to to uh, to fix some of the the problems you got on your team. Uh, he could go a long way in in making a lot of progress this year with that. Well, just in the month of September, you look at this Kentucky schedule. You figure a win over Ball State Saturday, Eastern Kentucky in Lexington the following week, followed by Akron on September the 16th. Really, all that stands between Kentucky and a 4-0 and start with Florida coming to town on September the 30th oh. is a road game at Vanderbilt on yeah. September the 23rd. So, I mean, when you look at it, this probably should be a 4-0 team mm-hmm. with an SEC Eastern Division rival like Florida coming to the Commonwealth and you need to get it while you can because then things definitely pick up. Uh, after Florida, you get Georgia on the road, and so uh, uh, you know, it, and then Tennessee a couple of three weeks after that. So very important, Brent, for this Kentucky team to to sort of make hay while it can. Yeah, uh, no doubt about that. And being able to have that momentum, I mean, that's something a lot of teams don't have is to gradually get into it. Uh, and before you hit that Florida, Georgia, Missouri, uh, and Tennessee stretch uh, that they've got. And, Trav, I'll tell you this, too. That's not going to be an easy game for Alabama either, is it? In November, uh, when they go to Lexington, uh, now Kentucky may be, may be beat up, have a lot of issues by the time November comes around. Uh, but uh, uh, the Cats are, are – Rarely much fun to play at the end of the year. Also in that early window on Saturday in Nashville, Tennessee, taking on the Cavaliers of Virginia. College football 2023, Brent, here's what you need to know. Watching NC State and UConn, we talk about Devin Leary going from NC State to Kentucky. Well, NC State starting quarterback this year is Virginia starting quarterback from a year ago. <laughs> Brennan Armstrong now at NC State. Yeah. So you wonder about that position for the Cavs going into this matchup with Tennessee. Not so much the concerns for the Vols behind center, not just because of Joe Milton, a veteran, being in place there, but quarterback depth in general, uh, based on recruiting success here of late, looks to be a real strength for this Tennessee offense as well. Uh, this is a game that I think people are going to go into expecting Tennessee to make make a statement in against an ACC opponent. Well, and and I think the, uh, the one of the more interesting things about this game, and you were just there, uh, is frankly just playing it in Nashville. Um, I think that gives a little bit more attention. Now, uh, look, I feel really um, for Virginia – and what they've had to overcome, the death of their three players who were shot last year, and heard a uh, an interview with Elliot, their head coach, and and I thought he was pretty honest, Trav. He said, "Look, we're we're not even looking at wins and losses this year. We've just got to get our team back together from a uh, emotional standpoint with the grief that they've been going through." So there's no doubt. I mean, this would be an easy win for Tennessee. Hopefully Virginia can uh, can play better, but and Travis and we we talked about this now for weeks, and I'm still curious. Uh, will Cooper Mays at the Tennessee Center? How much is he going to play? Uh, is he going to be healthy? And, and is he going to be healthy soon? 
and it'll be fun to see Tennessee go up and down. So Cooper Mays at center and will that ball defense be more improved? Uh, certainly two questions they need to start to answer coming on Saturday. They do. And uh, you think about this Tennessee schedule, Virginia on Saturday, Austin P a week from Saturday, and then it's off to Gainesville for that aforementioned matchup with the Gators down uh, in the swamp, or at least what used to be the swamp. I don't know. Do we, we still refer to it as the swamp, I think, these days. Also, in the earlier part of the schedule on Saturday involving SEC teams, Arkansas hosting an FCS opponent in Western Carolina. I think we're expecting a fast start for this Arkansas team, given the opponent. But again, another team from a schedule perspective, you're really looking ahead to some matchups not too far down the road. Uh, boy, uh, no question about that. Uh, and, and it really helps them to have Western Carolina and Kent State before they hit that BYU, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, and Alabama, and Mississippi State. Oof. Man alive. That's <laughs> just that's just absolutely brutal to say the least. And uh, to me, this is the the new coordinator game, isn't it, Trav? Travis Williams comes mm-hmm. back on defense. Uh, will they be more aggressive? Dan Enos, uh, who has been around the bend a little bit uh, in Alabama, at Miami, and, and uh, back in Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson, Rocket Sanders. So, uh, hey, <laughs> hey, Trav. How, how many yards could uh, Rocket Sanders get in those first two games of Western Carolina and Kent State? All that he wants, I think, especially on Saturday. At least that's your expectation if you're an Arkansas fan because with Dan Enos in there again as the offensive coordinator, uh, you expect more pro concepts perhaps in the offense, yep. which could very well benefit K.J. Jefferson and certainly Rocket Sanders when you talk about translation to the next level and how they'll be able to be evaluated. I don't think that's as much of a concern for Rocket Sanders. I think NFL people know exactly what he's going to bring to the table, but more so for KJ Jefferson. Also, if you're a tight end at Arkansas, you love having Dan Enos in there because history tells us uh, he'll utilize those guys as well in that Razorback offense. So, Again, you mentioned that upcoming slate, too. So, like Kentucky, Arkansas, a team that needs to stack some wins here while they can before things really ratchet up from a schedule perspective. Another FCS opponent involving an SEC matchup on Saturday. Ole Miss gets the season going. 2 p.m. Eastern time hosting the Bears from Macon. Mercer in town to take on the Rebels. Uh, it looks like the quarterback situation, I'm not going to say it was a lot about nothing because Spencer Sanders obviously came to Ole Miss with legitimate credentials previously of Oklahoma State, uh, but that'll still be something to keep an eye on. But similar to Arkansas and what you expect from Rocket Sanders against a defense like Western Carolina's, you're going to think Quinshawn Judkins can pretty much have his way with this Mercer defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is a a decent little Mercer team. They beat uh, UNA, North Alabama, uh, up in that area where uh, uh, one Brett Beard resides, by the way, Trav. So uh, I think the interesting thing here, uh, obviously, will be Pete Golding, 
and uh, what he's been able to do with the uh, Ole Miss uh, defense that have brought in double-digit transfers on that side of the ball, and they certainly needed to do it. I think another question is how many cornerbacks uh, does Lane Kiffin play? And certainly they start out uh, with Jackson Dart uh, and, and kind of see where that goes. Uh, they need this tune-up trap because they go to New Orleans next week and play what I think is a, a good two-lane team and a good two-lane program um, before they really get in kind of the meat of the schedule. So uh, it, you're right. It, it It is Mercer. It will be an easy win. But the, the fun thing about openers is there's enough questions for a team like Ole Miss to keep people tuned in. Mercer, not a fun prep and not fun for defensive players because they are academy style yep. on offense. And we saw this a couple of years ago, a cut block involving Will Anderson of Alabama in a game against Mercer uh, caused him some issues there in the early portion. I want to say maybe of his, I guess it was the 2021 season had to be because 2020 was all SEC opponents. Yeah, he he was uh, you know he was nicked up a little bit coming out yeah. of that game. So, but you're right. Three of the next four for Ole Miss after Mercer right now against ranked teams. Whether it's Tulane in the top 25 right now, Alabama certainly uh, coming up on September the 23rd, and then follow that up with uh, a visit from the Tigers of LSU. So as we move along with Saturday's preview, and we get into that. 3.30 Eastern time frame, the Auburn Tigers debut for Hugh Freeze as the first-year head coach of the Tigers, welcoming the Minutemen of UMass down. So, uh, obviously, a game, another one of these games involving an SEC team on Saturday that uh, you anticipate the home team coming out in, in pretty good shape. Yeah, uh, it, it, but, it, but it'll be fascinating to see, in a lot of ways, um, and I know this game's a sellout for, for Auburn, too, uh, with, with what Hugh Freeze does uh, with the offense. Uh, Philip Montgomery calling plays instead of Freeze. And then uh, Don Brown's UMass offense, the defense would be interesting against Peyton Thorne. And how much will we see Jarquez Hunter? Uh, but Travis, again, I, I'm more concerned still with their line of scrimmage and how that line of scrimmage has been rebuilt because they've got a very interesting game. I think they can win it, but uh, uh, they're going to Cal next week uh, with different time zones and all that goes along with it. Uh, that that goes along. They've got Sanford coming up, uh, too, and then a brutal schedule uh, that that is going to be happening uh, soon, too. So um, it'll uh, – There'll be a lot of attention, uh, certainly on freeze and the offense, but uh, I'm I'm still more concerned about uh, will will Auburn be be a lot better on the line of scrimmage than they were under Brian Harson. Intriguing team to watch on Saturday as well are the Bulldogs of Mississippi State, and what is officially, I guess, the debut for Zach Arnett in year one. He did coach the bowl game following the. Just incredibly unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. But Mississippi State gets the Arnett era going with Southeastern Louisiana paying a tribute, paying a visit to Starkville, Brent. 
Well, and and I think the the big story here is how do they do with that? Uh, they won't be running much air raid. They're going to throw the ball down the field, and again, uh, boy, Travis, how, and we touch on this a bit, but uh, Jocavius Marks uh, at running back in in having a true running back offense, and they got a Penn State transfer. Keep on Lee, then that will be interesting too. Uh, this is a very veteran team that's going to give a lot of of, uh, of teams some problems. Uh, State's got a, a very interesting game uh, that's coming up next week when they play Arizona. But then my stars, you've got LSU, South Carolina, Alabama uh, in in a row. So uh, these these first two games very important for Zach Arnett this much. Yeah, absolutely. And so we also want to talk about those primetime matchups, or at least uh, they're going to kick off later in the day. I don't know if they officially qualify as primetime <laughs> matchups in more than one or two of these instances, but uh, Tennessee Martin traveling to take on the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, another team within the league, and really when you talk about college football elites undergoing change behind center, Carson Beck in for Stetson Bennett and the expectation being at least for the foreseeable future because of this schedule that Georgia has in front of it, uh, the dogs are going to roll for a while, it looks like. Yeah, they really are. Now, Travis, I'll say this, short of putting Brock Bowers, the All-American tight end in the backfield, I still think there's some real concern about this running back room. Branson Robinson out with, the, with the, for the year. Tina Milton uh, just has constant hamstring issues. Dejon Edwards with an MCL. Uh, it's not like they don't have running backs and the, that they're deep back there. But I can tell you this, uh, the, the last thing they need, Trav, in September would be to have a few more running back injuries. So, uh, I think that that's a that is a concern for them to watch. Yeah, it's interesting too. Tennessee Martin's head coach is uh, Jason Simpson, whose son is Ty Simpson, one of those <laughs> quarterbacks in the mix at the University wow. of Alabama. So uh, you're going to have some Simpson folks uh, tied into a couple of SEC games in those primetime hours on Saturday night. Before we talk about Ty Simpson and Alabama taking on Middle Tennessee, let's Let's get into Texas A&M and hosting the Lobos of New Mexico. Uh, A&M, so much intrigue involving the addition of Bobby Petrino to the offensive staff and uh, the return of a good bit of talent on both sides of the ball. And once again, a Jimbo Fisher team enters a season in position to to do some big things, uh, but there's still that that bit of skepticism, I think, uh, weary eye, I guess you could say, uh, when you look at a Jimbo team uh, in this type of position to to maybe do some good things. Yeah, Jimbo officially named Connor Wigman the starting quarterback, and that certainly didn't surprise us, but it will be interesting to see how much Max Johnson gets to play uh, on this team. And, and again, and I, I think probably – uh, Petrino will call the plays. He certainly has. And so it seemed like it's worked uh, d- during camp, uh, at, at least at this point. But uh, look, it, it, they, 
the the big thing to me about this game is A&M needs to come out of this game without any injuries because Trout, they go to Miami next week and, and will be uh, certainly besides uh, uh, Alabama and Texas will, will be uh, a game that really gets a lot of people's attention. So uh, the Aggies on the road next week, Coral Gables, 3.30 on ABC, and no doubt will be a incredibly – uh, hot game. So uh, New Mexico gives them an opportunity to work out some of these bugs and particularly at the coordinator positions. Also in that seven o'clock window Eastern time on Saturday night, Vanderbilt looking to move to two and O as Alabama A&M comes up from Huntsville to pay a visit to the Commodores. I was in Nashville last Saturday night for the doors 35 to 28 win over the rainbow warriors of Hawaii. We had the weather delay. We had the construction situation and really though, it wasn't all that difficult to kind of get around. Now I was a little bit disappointed. I know Vanderbilt in recent years hasn't exactly attracted huge throngs of crowds or fans to games, but uh, it, it felt like almost a, a spring scrimmage getting in and out of Vanderbilt stadium. It wasn't <laughs> difficult at all, but uh, I thought Vandy, I wouldn't say was listless at times mm-hmm. in that performance against Hawaii. I, I would say more so give Timmy Chang and Hawaii staff a lot of credit, making that long trip, spending three full days essentially in Nashville before even playing the game on Saturday. Uh, that was an inspired group of, of rainbow warriors and, but Vandy ultimately did enough. Some explosive plays, really special teams big in that win over Hawaii. Hawaii had some shortcomings in that area and also some red zone situations that went the Commodore's way as well. But Clark Lee's team, 1-0, and and great shot here to go to 2-0. Yeah, and that's the thing that matters. Uh, Trim, I'm, I'm curious what you saw from the running game. They, they only ran it 26 times for 42 yards. And that really hurt them, I understand, in the fourth quarter when they wanted to, to run the ball and, and, and just milk the clock and kind of end the game and really could not do that. So I would imagine that that, that will be and has been an emphasis this week. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of a committee approach probably that continues on for the foreseeable future. Um, obviously, they like A.J. Swan throwing the football. I don't know how sustainable that approach is without having some semblance of dual threat at the position to kind of keep defenses and the SEC honest. But look, Will Shepard showed you once again, he's upper echelon when it comes to SEC wide receivers as far as his performance in that win over Hawaii. But I walked away from that game with more questions than I thought I would have um, for for Vanderbilt and understanding, I mean, it's Vanderbilt. You're, you're always going to have some questions, but um, I, I just expected a little bit more of a connected performance from the Commodores. I, I didn't think, I didn't expect Hawaii to have the success up front yeah. defensively that it had against that Vanderbilt offensive line. So that's a bit of a concern for me, for the Commodores moving forward. Uh, when you talk about the challenges that they still have, uh, on that SEC schedule. So as we keep it moving here in the nighttime hours for Saturday night, that aforementioned matchup of the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee traveling to Tuscaloosa, 7.30 Eastern on the SEC Network, taking on Nick Saban's 
Alabama Crimson Tide, 17th season opener for Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. That, to me, is about as crazy of a stat going into this one as any others that we'll talk about here in the next couple of minutes. Well, well, and I can tell you this, uh, some LSU beat writers who you know uh, uh, told me uh, uh, that when he was hired that uh, basically uh, after every two or three years, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, rumors about him leaving. So he, his staying in Alabama and establishing what he did has, frankly, has been uh, amazing. And, and again, um, Rick Sock still deserves a lot of credit at Middle Tennessee. He's been there double-digit years. They won eight games last year, including beating Miami. Um, and and th- frankly, that game was not even close. So, uh, look, they're, they're, uh, and no doubt many storylines here. Uh, a lot of people focusing in on the quarterbacks. But uh, I'm, I'm interested, Trav, in the coordinators and how smoothly that situation goes. Will the offensive line be better? Will they have fewer mistakes and pre-snap penalties that they've had uh, on defense and with the offensive line? So, uh, listen, the, the, uh, even though Bama favored heavily, the uh, the questions in this game are almost endless, aren't they, Trav? There's plenty. There's plenty of reasons to tune into this one, including a Kevin Steele's defense, which yep. a year ago when he was at Miami gave up 408 passing yards to MTSU in an upset loss to the Blue Raiders for the Hurricanes. But certainly uh, with Steele at Alabama now, even with the transition in the secondary, you expect a much different result. You also have a quarterback change for Middle Tennessee in this game as well. So it's not just Alabama breaking in a new starter and from the Alabama side of this where the quarterback is concerned you're you're left to wonder how many of those guys might we yeah. see and, and not just in terms of if the game is uh, well within you know Alabama's command uh, but the plan what is the plan for the quarterbacks I think Jalen Milrow is the guy you're going to see out there first I think if he plays well you'll continue to see him out there but as far as scripting in another guy whether it's Ty Simpson or maybe Tyler Buckner how does new offensive coordinator Tommy Reese go about that ultimately this offense thinks it can hang its hat on the offensive line and running back position so it's not going to ask this quarterback or quarterbacks to be Bryce Young you know, it's going to be more of a situation where the position can be complementary rather than centric to the to the production of the offense as a whole. So uh, different dynamic, I think, in play for Alabama at quarterback, but you hit on it. I mean, there's more than just the quarterback position to take into account is this Alabama team tries to ready itself for a visit from Texas coming up one week from Saturday. Hey, we've got one of those SEC-ACC matchups set for us, too, on Saturday night. Another one of those as North Carolina and South Carolina get together for the border war. Uh, quarterbacks for both teams, I think, center stage in this matchup, Brent. Yeah, yeah, Merciful Evans. Um, the, um, uh, the, the interest in this game, I think, in – and I frankly wish they played a little bit more often. This game's in Charlotte. Well, by the way, the ACC just moved its offices uh, over to Charlotte. But 
if people haven't seen Drake May, they will enjoy watching him play. I mean, a lot of people think Drake May could be the NFL right now. Uh, and, and I think another big thing in this game, Marshawn Lloyd has left South Carolina and is now at USC. So uh, I think, to me, besides a quarterback battle, uh, will South Carolina have enough on the edge offensively to get some guys down the field with new offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins and just to see what he's going to do. Uh, but, but Trav, to me, the key to this game is uh, one Gene Chizik returning at the coordinator for North Carolina. Uh, has he been able to retool that North Carolina defense that, Trav, uh, frankly, uh, was abysmal last year? Yeah, very bad. Very bad from the North Carolina side of things. So interesting matchup with the Gamecocks and Tar Heels. Absolutely. And finally, as we wrap things up on our preview side of things for this weekend, Sunday night in Orlando. Interesting for LSU. It'll be its second straight game there, I guess, with the Citrus Bowl from the end of last season to this matchup against Florida State. Orlando just kind of the home away from home. I guess, for the Tigers these days. But top 10 matchup, Florida State. We talk about quarterback play, Jordan Travis for the Seminoles, Jaden Daniels uh, for LSU. I think what a lot of people are looking at, though, is that once you get past those guys, how do these respective rosters really match up from top to bottom? Brent, is Florida State at a point roster-wide where – it can do what it did a year ago and act and what was essentially a road game yeah. beat LSU in new Orleans. Uh, I think LSU feels like they're in a much different place going into year two under Brian Kelly than they were going into a season ago. How do you sort of see this one and uh, going to be great to have you down there doing some work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, First coast news going to have a special before the game. We're really excited about that. Uh, kind of previewing the season and obviously previewing this game. Uh, but, and, and Trav, as you know, there will be no shortage of uh, LSU Tiger fans in that stadium and around that stadium during this time. Uh, LSU has done a really good job of restocking their roster, especially on defense, getting cornerbacks from Southeast Louisiana and Zion Alexander and Deuce Chestnut. Uh, from Syracuse, um, I, I think not having Mason Smith uh, does hurt LSU. He'll be back for the second game, uh, what was suspended. Uh, but, but, but I still think two things here. Uh, I'm, as much as I'm impressed with what Mike Norvell has done uh, at FSU, I still think LSU has the better roster between the two. Now, they're certainly comparable and they're certainly a lot closer than they were. Uh, again, uh, the big uh, contest here is going to be the uh, FSU offensive line that has the most starts of anybody in the nation, which is that's a strength for them now against the LSU front seven. And, and Travis, to me, the, the, the one big key for FSU they have to know where Harold Perkins is on every play. And my big question is, Trev, can they block Perkins for the extent of the game? 
I think that's where Travis's mobility and uh, and playmaking ability with his legs could help Florida State. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I, I'm with you. It's interesting when you look at Florida State and Florida together. All these years or all those years that both seemingly had offensive line struggles at the same time. There was like yeah. simultaneous. Right. There was a stretch where we talked about, man, Florida State, awful along that offensive line. Florida, we saw it as recent as Thursday night in Salt Lake City, struggling up front. But separation maybe between those schools, as much as anything, has probably come at that position, Brent. I think you said it. Florida State has elevated its play, needed to, uh, and that's going to be the key to the drill, I think, for the Seminoles. I don't think they have to outright win up front against LSU, especially with Mason uh, Smith out of the game. But uh, there's still Makai Wingo you got to deal with, and you said it with Perkins and some other guys. Uh, But if they can just sort of neutralize things, that's where Travis can – take advantage of his ability to do it with his legs and his arm uh, and those other skill players that he has around him, maybe. Well, and, and, and I do believe Trev that, and, and look, as you, as you know, there's a lot of talk around here about Florida state being a playoff team. Uh, but, but I still think even if they lost this game in a close game that the playoff committee would give them credit for playing a top 10 team, uh, and a neutral side, if you can say Orlando is a neutral side for FSU. So because they've got, I think they could play Clemson not once, but twice because the ACC is doing away uh, with divisions that the SEC will be doing next year. So uh, we won't get too far ahead of ourselves here, but uh, I think the thing I'm saying is it that the season won't collapse if Florida State loses the game. And second helping's not going to collapse anytime soon. At least we hope not. But uh-huh. there you go. There's a complete rundown of this weekend's SEC action on the heels of Florida and Missouri playing games on Thursday night. Uh, so a lot of good stuff coming up in week one of the college football season. Brent, always a time we both anticipate greatly. You got anything else for us before we get out of here? Well, uh, I, I think of this, and uh, I know this is a odd thing, but people expecting the AP poll on Monday uh, for that will not happen. It won't be released until Tuesday around two o'clock. So if people kind of, uh, and they're not saying there's going to be a lot of shakeup in it during that time, but uh, if folks are wondering when that's coming out, that that is when it's going to be. So. Uh, boy, much, much going on uh, in college football. We're just happy it's, it is here uh, and uh, wish we had uh, five days of it straight at uh, another time during the season like we do when it begins. Yes, we get into action and fun belt and maybe some of that stuff coming up down the road for the college football season. Always great stuff with Brent Beard, college football analyst. For First Coast News, I'm Travis Ryer. This is the Belly Up Podcast Network. So anywhere you consume pods, you're going to find Second Helping. We certainly hope you'll subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. That would help us out tremendously. Brent, look forward to catching up next week. Me too, bud. Can't wait. Take care.
For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping. And until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>